0: Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show,
1: we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal.
0: But instead of decide for myself today, Brian, I'm going to flip a coin and tell me, Mm. what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss?
1: The most i ever
0: lost? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of know what I stand to gain. <laughs> Whoever that actor is. You're a little bit deaf, aren't you? <laughs> My hero, I think. <laughs> in 2007, the nominees for Best Picture were Michael Clayton, Juno, There Will Be Blood, Atonement, and today's movie, No Country for Old Men, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Here's the trailer. Let me ask you something.
1: What's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Look, I need to know what
0: I stand to win. Everything. Just call it, friendo. Willing. What's we'll in the satchel?
1: Full of money. He's just a guy who happened to find that money.
0: I got a bad feeling, Louella. <sighs>
1: It's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here.
0: I'm looking for Llewellyn Moss. You go up to his trailer? Yes. Do you want to leave a message? Yes. If I don't come back, you tell Mother I love
1: her. Your mother's dead.
0: Well, then I'll tell her myself.
1: Got a loose skin in here. You think this boy Moss has got any notion of a sort of or hunting him? I don't know, he ought to. He's seen the same things I've seen, and it certainly made an impression on me. Just how dangerous is it? Compared to what? The bubonic plague. Crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's just all out war. You can't stop what's coming. Is this guy supposed to be the ultimate badass? You don't understand. we have to uh cancel the show today mike because i just want to go home and watch no kind of thrilled men again
0: yeah i can <laughs> see that and the, the trailer just like the movie it's like is the best thing that it does building the the mystery and and the mystique and the power behind this villain is this like a master class in how to build a bad guy
1: this is one of the best bad guys that has ever been made in a movie. I, mean, I think so. That's he's, fair. He's he's up there with the Joker, with Darth Vader. Um, Anton Chigurh is so good, uh, and the the suspense, the evil is is so compelling. So you know, um, he, he he's walking down the hallway, and Josh Brolin, Llewellyn Moss is just sitting in his room as sitting duck, mm. and then the light turns off in the hallway. It's like it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is this. It's so masterful. This movie. Um, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves. It won Best Picture. uh, Javier Bardem won Supporting Actor, and that same that he also won Best Supporting Actor at the Screen Actors, BAFTA, Golden Globe, and Critics' Choice. Hmm. Um, Best Adapted Screenplay, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Best Directing, Ethan and Joel Cohen. Oh. which they 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 they're careful about which one goes first in which movie. Mm-hmm. Um it was nominated for cinematography Roger Deakins which he was also nominated for Jesse James? Jesse James. Two in one year. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a good year. You have a favorite? Um probably this one. I think I'd go Jesse James. But
0: I like it a little Both more are Joey.
1: Joey. <laughs> <laughs> um I love the shots of like the, the shot of uh the the truck on the ridge you know at twilight and then the second truck up there on the ridge um yeah, some yeah. of those kind of shots are probably edged just a little bit more in this in this direction for me but they're both great um it was also nominated for best editing ethan and joel cohen as roderick james that's their like pseudonym for editing hmm. even though they do it themselves ah, but okay. they, they made up a guy named Roderick James and put him as the credit um,
0: Roderick great dog name I think <laughs> um, and it was nominated for sound mixing and editing so while we're talking awards <laughs> real quick we were kind of gushing about Casey Affleck and yep. Jesse James last episode mm-hmm. Bardem beats him for, for the supporting actor deserved
1: I don't think it's deserved actually. I think Casey Affleck's is much more nuanced and this is a little bit one tone, which usually in my personal opinion I like to see more variety in it. Yeah. But he does his one thing about as well as you can as as you can do it.
0: Yeah. And obviously the performance helps build the character, but I yeah. think it might be an issue of this character is better than Robert yeah, that,
1: Ford. That could be too. But
0: maybe Affleck is his performance as Robert Ford is a little better than Bardem's yeah. as sugar. Fantastic. Don't know.
1: But but yes, I, I totally <laughs> (laughs) agree with what you're saying i think cormac mccarthy the novelist who wrote this book deserves some of the credit for javier bardem's performance in a in an odd way um it was made for 25 million and it made 171 so even better than bug even better (laughs) ratio than bug
0: even better than even better ratio
1: coming up (laughs) in the show we'll do some questions talk trivia keep it or kick it and maybe we'll get to what else you're watching
0: all right so should we talk about the tweet Yes. Kick it off. Absolutely. Okay, That's so, what
1: my first question is about as well. So go ahead. Perfect. Tell me about your infamous tweet that. All
0: right. So in our last episode you mentioned having major problems Major problems with what I tweeted about this movie after rewatching it earlier Ooh. this week. So I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. I'll read the tweet. <laughs> Given the iconic villain cat and mouse structure and countless gunfights, I remembered old country no country for old, old men being smart but fun. Actioner, a smart but fun Actioner. I can't even get my own quotes right now. Jeez. Terrible. On rewatch, wow, is it dour. No jokes, no score, no justice. It ends in, quote, all that dark and all that cold. A little genre goes a long way. Are you going to sit there and tell me that this movie is not dour? You're going to tell me that there's no jokes in this movie? There are a couple jokes. It's so full of
1: cartoonish humor. I it's wouldn't full say it.
0: full. There's okay. the one. Okay, go ahead.
1: Okay. Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm has all kinds of kind of offbeat deadpan lines and I don't have them all in front of me, but Wendell, his character Mm -hmm. his his sidekick. Totally cartoonish. That's Um, that's true. Unbelievably, he's a non-realistic character. He's a comic relief kind
0: of guy. Mm -hmm. And um, the accent he's kind of a little little dumb. We almost missed him. (laughs) Like, That's (laughs) that's pretty good. <laughs> so
1: funny. And and you so, it's so goofy. And they're yeah. sitting down there like, what do we do? Call and say, looking for a man who just drank a glass of cold milk? Mm-hmm. You know, like that they provide this comic relief um, throughout, even though Tommy Lee Jones, as he goes farther in, you know that he's wrestling existentially with good and evil, you know? Cormac McCarthy, I'm going to give you know him the main credit for the whole concept because Joel and Ethan Cohen did, or maybe it was Ethan and Joel Cohen, they they adapted it, but they stayed very very true to the book. They can they you know they condensed a lot of things, um, but the the dialogue and and the whole you know idea of the story, Cormac McCarthy describes in very minute detail like. Llewellyn Moss, you know, cocks the gun, sets it up over his boot, you know, looks down into the valley and sees the, whatever it is, antelope, gazelle, I don't even know what and that is. I'm not, I'm not a hunter. A wildebeest, perhaps? <laughs> Camel, was it? No. Um, <laughs> but he he's meticulous about, like... You know, he gets the tape, he wraps it around the fishing poles and, mm-hmm. you know, so I think Cormac McCarthy is kind of the genius behind this whole thing. Although the Cohen brothers made it into, you know, also a movie masterpiece, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, this, this whole idea, like Tommy Lee Jones's character, Sheriff Bell, he goes, he does go so dark and he's so like, he's like, you know, God never in, in God never came into my life. And he, it ends on this really like scary, spooky dream, you know, recount to his, to his, his wife. So it definitely, but it does both. That's what's so, Hmm. so, so brilliant about it. It's not just that though. Woody Harrelson is pure comic relief. I, uh, I was going up in the elevator and I was counting the floors and one's missing. And what does the guy say? We'll We'll look look into into it. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. Like I'm, I'm like laughing like every other, every other scene, Josh Brolin is walking up to the, to the, uh the border patrol guy
0: uh-huh. in a
1: gown and he's like, you know, I need to get across like it, that, that whole, that whole exchange with the guy is, is, is funny. And I mean, even Anton Chigurh has a lot of funny stuff. Like he's a, he said, they get to the, the, the shootout scene at night. It's uh-huh. like, you got a Scroogey? It's like, <laughs> where does that come from? A Scroogey? That line It's a screwdriver.
0: It's kind of weird. Popped out to me as, yeah. n- as not... A little um, false? Yeah, as a little false.
1: But then he also... Um, <laughs> I call
0: it a Scroogey. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't be any polar opposite. Any I've always polar thought of opposite. you
1: as sort of like an Anton Sugar kind of figure in real life. <laughs> yeah.
0: no, I've but, got the same haircut. <laughs> I never get any sun. But he also
1: says, friendo. Yeah. That's one thing that kind of connects those two words a little bit to me, the whole cashew thing. And like, you're a little bit of deaf, aren't you? And all that stuff. Uh-huh. There's some humor there. Also after he says, don't put it in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It just becomes a coin, which it is. Yeah. That, that look he has on his face. It's like jokey. There's so much of it. So I was like, come on, Mike, there's no jokes and no country for old men. It's like a, it's like a, Shaun of the Dead comedy. Oh,
0: man. (laughs) I will give it to you that there's more jokes than I gave it credit for. For sure. The one where he comes into the store and he's wearing the gown and he wants to buy some clothes. And he says, you know, is it every day you get somebody in here with just a robe on? And the guy says, it's unusual. It's unusual. And the scene just ends. That's probably the most that I kind of laugh out loud chuckled. Um, But maybe it's just the style of it where these things kind of feel... A little cheeky, a little tongue in cheek, but they're not really like jokey. And maybe that's part of it because there's no music in this movie. I need some poles.
1: Well, I can Where do you a tent. Okay, I'll take a tent. <laughs> Which kind do you want? The kind with the most pulls. The
0: <laughs> with the most pulls. I mean, it's funny now. So <laughs> It's funnier now
1: than... It's funny on a podcast, but not while you're watching it. I it's because it's so deadly and serious in so many other ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that is kind of the point that I'm trying to make is yeah. before watching the movie, I mean, even in our There Will Be Blood episode, I said, of the two, this and that... This seems like the fun one. It is, yeah. But watching this again, I kind of <laughs> went into it thinking like, oh, yeah, this is like a, a like a kind of a weighty and smart, yeah. but also fun kind of action movie. But then it's like it really, really weighty. It is. Fun? Philosophically so
1: intense. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're talking outright about... Good and evil, fate—you know—and and all—all and, uh, all these just heavy, heavy themes. Yeah. Um, to the point where I think most movies, it it it's too top heavy and it just topples over. Yeah. I don't think this does
0: do that. No. I think I, I
1: think it sustains it in part because it never resolves anything, and it does not allow you to like have any neat and tidy resolution. Mm-hmm. So it kind of allows these heavy themes to be propped up. And then you walk away and you're left still thinking about them. And that's what's that's what that's what great art does.
0: I guess what what interests me is is the sort of why does the memory live in my head different than the experience and so (laughs) much different? Because watching this again, it does not feel to me or didn't feel like a movie that's made for the mainstream and maybe yeah. that has so much to do with the fact that there's no music almost zero yeah. music in the this movie. Music we, is
1: big. I have some I have a few factoids about that.
0: Okay, so um, let's hear them. And, I, and then I want to hear what you yeah. how that works for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the composer is Carter Burwell. There's only 16 minutes of music in the whole movie and some of those are in the credits. A lot
0: of it's in in the credits. In the credits. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um so Carter Burwell, let's see. Uh after finding that most musical instruments didn't fit with the minimalist sound sculpture he had in mind, he used singing bowls, B-O-W-L-S, singing bowls, standing metal bells traditionally employed by Buddhist meditation practice that produced a sustained tone when rubbed. Mm-hmm. That's the soundtrack. Yeah. We're not really talking about music. You no, know, no, Even no. the soundtrack itself, which is basically non-existent for almost the whole movie, even when it does show up just a little bit, it's like a sustained rub on a bowl. Yeah. It's it's a layer. Yeah. It's 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 not not... really... There's no theme music or anything. Mm -hmm. The score music is used quite sparsely throughout the film. This was, I think, an IMDb uh, factoid, but blending elusively into the background. Some can be heard. This is the only place where you hear it. During the opening narration from Sheriff Bell, Tommy Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. during the quarter speech at the gas station. There's a little bit, but I didn't even recognize it. No. So it's kind of like, so far in the background, might as well not even be there. Yeah. Um, or maybe
0: you just think it's wind chimes or yeah. something outside.
1: And then when Sheriff Bell shows up at the motel shootout toward the end, and then the closing credits, that's it. So basically there is no music. Yeah. Um, Skip Levesay, L-I-E-V-S-A-Y, this is one of the sound editors who, again, they were nominated for sound, called this approach, quote, quite a remarkable experiment. And added that, quote, suspense thrillers in, gener- in Hollywood are traditionally done almost entirely with music. Mm-hmm. The idea here was to remove the safety net that lets the audience feel like they know what's going to happen. I think it makes the movie much more suspenseful. You're not guided by the score. And so you lose that comfort zone, unquote. Yeah. So I think that that assessment is right on the money. Mm-hmm. And the experiment was a smashing success. I mean, the suspense that the Zero music causes, it's like you're sitting there on the street while they're having the shootout. That's kind of what it feels like.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's also so sort of barren and dusty, which, you know, mirrors the landscape. No,
1: that is the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, that is just
0: wind. You want to talk about art films and wind. I mean, that's that's what this thing is. But it's funny if you think about how much that contrasts with... There Will Be Blood. Uh, that's what I was which just thinking. Is filmed, Johnny Greenwood, you know, I love it. And and filmed in the same spot. I mean, you were yeah. talking about there was part of it where the they were... The smoke plume. Yeah, where they saw the smoke plume over the hill. So, I mean, we're we're talking about the same shooting location, basically. Mm-hmm. But one of them, if you strip the, the music away, it's like all you think about is just the vastness of this space and how empty it is, you mm-hmm. know, that, that feeling of emptiness, I think the Coens are, are intentionally going for. And then the other side of the coin you have, there will be blood and the, it's all about kind of chaos and making you feel uncomfortable. And, and that's a whole different kind of feeling for the exact same landscape. I feel it's like, a different interpretation for that space.
1: Agreed. And it's a similar space and all that. I yeah, feel yeah. like just separated by a hundred years or 60 to 80 years or something. Um, <clears throat> I feel like, there Will Be Blood, the artistic vision of it feels sort of almost mean-spirited or something. And this one, the artistic vision of it feels like inquisitive and, you know, metaphysical. But I feel like I can't, it's harder for me to separate, you know, whose vision of the world are we supposed to see the fact that we're even talking about it on this level. And there's like, there's potentially different layers of that again, speaks to the high art that they're both aiming for, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and there will be blood. Um, are are we, what, what, what is the vision of the directors? You know, how do they think about life?
0: Um, so this movie to you doesn't feel, um, like the Cohens are focusing on the emptiness, uh, on the lack of meaning. I think that they are,
1: first of all, it's, it's hard because I, I know the book, like I've read the book. Um, I, I, I respect Cormac McCarthy so much. I think that one of his books, Blood Meridian is,
0: it, it's one of your faves. Yeah. It's, it's hard to
1: describe my, you know, admiration for what he did in that, in that book. But, um, yeah, whose vision are we even talking about? I feel like because I separate it from the novel somewhat, and clearly, Cormac McCarthy does not sympathize with Anton Chigurh, Neither do the Coen Brothers. It's not like we're trying to. You know, um, we're not sympathizing with he. His do they world.
0: sympathize with anyone? Is no, the question?
1: Yeah, maybe not. Well, I, I don't know. That's a good question.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think that they do. But before we get too far away from the style, yeah. <clears> I, I just want to sort of revisit that as as a cap okay. because going back to the whole I remember this as the fun one between this and there will be blood is it because i i think the score alone kind of makes there will be blood the more visceral experience yeah. almost but this one does have that kind of um that quiet intensity and that quiet suspense whereas there will be blood is more of like of of a simmering of a of a bubbling so which one is more
1: Fun. This is a common um, debate that I have with myself about some, some movies. And I feel like the one flaw that I've kind of always let linger in my mind about no country for old men. Cause I think generally it's hard to find a flaw in this movie, but generally they there the one thing that I kind of kicks me out of the experience a little bit is like, Let's say the the moment where Llewellyn Moss sits down with his wife Carla Jean, played by McDonald something McDonald Mary McDonald. She um their their dialogue is a little bit to me feels a little scripted, a little cartoonish.
0: I think like, a lot of the movie oh, feels yeah? pretty well, scripted. It does. The Cohens are are happy with their writing, and it's, and, and so am I. So <laughs> it's not like. I really hold that against them, but there are certain lines of dialogue where he says, "Say say goodbye to my mother for me." Yeah. It's in the trailer, and she says, "Your mother's been dead." The only reason that's in there is so that you can have that little cute turn where he says, "Exactly, I'll, I'll tell her." The dialogue myself. is not
1: photo; it's not super realistic. Mm-hmm. It's very it it's it. But is it is it? Does that mean that it is poor, or that it is flawed, or does that mean it is stylized? It's and that's something that I think. Is always a question churning in my mind when I see that something that I think is is just doesn't quite hit right, is that because the stylized attempt of the of the director and the actors doesn't resonate with me or is that because it just wasn't executed very well? And I think that in previous watchings of this, I've probably seen this like six times mm. um, and each time I think I appreciate the humor part of it and the fun more, you know, Hmm. first time it was like, I'm like chilled to the bone, you know? (laughs) And then each time, like I know what's coming and I'm still like, wow, this is still doing this for me, you know? And I'm bothered less by some of the other things like I'm about to describe, like, like that line. We'll just use that as the example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt like, I mean, that one is a little weaker than, than most, but, I do feel like I was okay with the stylized. I'll put it in the stylized category rather than in the poorly executed category. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the reason is you have to look for clues throughout the movie. Wendell, the character of Wendell says a lot. He is so stylized that you, it forces you to look at the rest of the movie as what else is stylized. He's not just stuck in as like this one kooky character. I mean Anton Chigurh has some kind of. I mean everything he does is style. He's like he stops the car. You know the car is stopped and he's pretending to be a police officer. Come here, come here, sir. Can you come out of the car? And he
0: just looks so weird on yeah. purpose. Yes, I mean it's
1: yeah. is that really like a realistic what what a guy's supposed to look like? The haircut, you know, is like. So I think I I I almost completely this time around felt like all these things were resolved and they're all into the stylized category not in the flawed category pretty much mm-hmm. um and that that but slowly that kind of happened for me i think at first i was like man that dialogue is kind of kind of rocky um and maybe it's because again i knew it as a novel and the novel sometimes is hard to th- there's a lot of times when dialogue that's taken straight out of a novel or straight out of a play script or something like that once people are starting to talk, speak it out loud. It's like, you know, it's feels a little more self conscious. Yeah, for sure. it does. Yeah. And especially like that turn, like, tell my mother I love her. Like, did you really forget that she died, <laughs> or did you have that punchline in mind when you first yeah. said it? Like everything
0: you, is really serious right now but before I leave I'm just going to make one funny joke. Yeah, this is
1: going to you're <laughs> going to remember this one. I will write this one down.
0: I might be dead. You'll never my, see me again. Tell my mother I <laughs> I love her. Let's I see want if you catch it. You catch that? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Nudge, nudge. <laughs> so it sounds like you're saying this is definitely the fun one out of
1: Absolutely, it's the fun one.
0: Because I think that it is definitely the one with the most overt action and yeah. the most overtly high stakes. But all that stuff is there and there will be blood also. There's there's killings, there's the uh, style
1: is also more fun in this movie. Like the, hmm. the, the spookiness of it is like genre spooky.
0: Oh see, I have the opposite the, okay, reaction. But
1: but Llewellyn Moss sitting in the sitting in the uh, in the hotel room yeah. waiting for the, the light turns off. Yeah, That's yeah, straight yeah. out of Hitchcock. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. It's sure. an homage, it's an homage to Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, the blood. You know, it's 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 sort of more cartoonish um, in some ways than there will be blood. There will be blood. It's like smeared with oil. You know, the everything just seems more deadly serious in that movie than this one. In mm. in my opinion, they're both absolute masterpieces.
0: Yeah, so it's hard to. <laughs> I, I it is Do hard. Do you to agree? Con- that, it, that this, they're both masterpieces. Um, tisk, tisk. I, I hate I hate you know that I hate tisk, the tisk. words masterpieces and, and favorites. And I love I always, love the I word always struggle with that hyperbole
1: one. is right up my alley, you know. Yeah
0: I will say <laughs> that I love both and that I I love to grapple with both. Yeah. But I I have had uh kind of different experiences watching each of these, yeah. each different time that I watch them, which I think is interesting, but also a little bit, I don't know if it's annoying or unsatisfying or something, that it doesn't just grow with me. Yeah. I kind of find new things that challenge me yeah. or new things to appreciate, and then it, mm-hmm. it, then they clash. Another
1: oh. fun, funny one, the mariachi band. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's
1: not in the novel. <laughs> the Cohen brothers that. added that in. Why did they do that? <clears throat> because they wanted a little more, another comic relief moment to kind of let the audience continue to sit through this extremely heavy philosophical, you know, Western shootout.
0: Yeah. So we always kind of start with the style Uh and then we move into the meteor subtext. Okay. Okay. So if you smoke all the complicated ideas down here, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, there are ideas about randomness and chaos and free will choice. Mm -hmm. Those are the big ones. Yep. If you smoke all of it down, is this movie basically just saying money is the root of all evil? Is (laughs) that, is that kind of the point? No, I think it's about
1: chance. I, I, the last, I think the last time I watched this, it kind of occurred to me that, um, the coin is a metaphor for the, the, the money satchel. Mm -hmm. You know, the, this coin has been traveling around the world 22 years and it's landed right here. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what happened with the money. Um, can you escape it you know is it your destiny that it was there could you have walked away from it um, but once you're in it it's like there's no turning back there are no clean getaways is is the uh, the tagline which is fantastic
0: hmm. um so but isn't that just a a rationalization for Sugar to live a certain way they're both money
1: one's a quarter one's a sack of 2 million dollars mm-hmm. um, but uh sorry what what about Sugar's ways
0: because he has this whole idea of you know, the thing, the coin has traveled all this years to to get to this moment. So he kind of believes in fate as a way to justify his actions. You yeah. know, I'm going to flip this coin. And if you're right, you get to live if you're wrong. So it's not me making the choice. Yeah. But as Llewellyn's wife says in that last great scene with her, mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it, you know, because it, the coin doesn't have any say with whether or not you kill me or not. Ah. It's your choice whether or not you kill me. Mm-hmm. So... The money is kind of just a justification for everything that happens, and I kind of feel like the movie is arguing that that there is no fate, there is no meaning, there's pretty much nothing, and the only the thing that kind of gets in all of our way is when you take the shirt off your back for somebody else to do a good thing, like the little kid does in the last scene, and then money gets introduced into the equation, and now you're fighting with your friend over whose money it yeah. belongs, you know who who gets to keep that money.
1: There are so many things like that in the movie. That's another thing that's so masterful about it. You know, the, those kind of connections, Shigur gets a shirt. Josh Brolin also shot, got a shirt from somebody, you Mm -hmm. know, these accidents of fate, you know, is there such a thing as an accident of fate or is there some kind of controlling force? And Tom or uh, Sheriff Bell wants their, he kind of wants it to be about God he was hoping God could come into his life and he said it never happened. Mm -hmm. And his brother who's there in the wheelchair is kind of sort of chiding him for not, you know, for being so negative. And then the last scene, which is a great cut to black, you know, tremendous cut to black, but he's talking about that dream, you know, my father and he just rode on ahead with that lamp on the, into all that dark and all that cold. But Mm -hmm. I knew I knew, I, I knew that he was going to be there when I got there. There's something, it's not like there's, you know, a neat, tidy redemption in the story at all, mm-hmm. but that also made me feel like, even though Tom, is it Tom Bell? I think it's Tom Bell or is it Ed Bell? I forget. But Sheriff Bell, Tommy Lee Jones, when he's, um, he's been struggling with, the, he got, he got to the point where he resigned. He couldn't handle it anymore. You know, he's also old enough. He's going to re, going to retire. But he's still kind of holding on to maybe there's something, maybe there's some meaning to my dream. Maybe there's an afterlife. And is there, is that his answer? Cuts to black and we don't really know. But I think it it invites those questions to still remain with you. And so I think that it, it doesn't really, I don't know that there's a clear, a clear uh, answer to that question, but hmm. I do think
0: it's interesting, though, that you're able to sort of mine some kind of hope out That's of this. That's what I do. That's who I am. I see zero. <laughs> I see zero. And I,
1: well, his father's going to be waiting for him at the other side. In his dream, in his
0: imagination, <laughs> his dad will be huddled, making a tiny fire in the vast wilderness to try to ward off but all this dark and all this cold.
1: He'll see his father, he'll see his father again someday. Does, do you, why would they end the story with that, with that dream? The fact that it's a dream, yes, is interesting. I almost
0: think that it's because we want to believe that that there's hope. So we tell ourselves these stories. We tell ourselves these dreams. But if you look at real life, the guys on the bridge are going to charge you $500 for their jacket and then still try to get more money out of you. But when they're kids... And
1: they're going to try to take your beer.
0: They're going to try and take (laughs) your beer. But when they're kids, they give it up for free. So it's like you start out idealistic Mm -hmm. and innocent and good and then money and life and experience and cynicism get introduced into the equation. You get jaded and then you become sort of a product of, of this harsh environment. Unless I guess, unless you're a Tommy Lee Jones type who is able to build, build this attitude around himself. That's kind of cool and calm, but also weirdly defeated. So there's like a, there's a sense of humor in there, but also a sense of acceptance. His, his, his
1: portrayal of this character that does all those things you just said mm-hmm. is also, and the way that he's kind of stylized, he's, he knows that his character is kind of the, the, the heart of the movie. It's, it's, it's the, it's the, the conscience of the movie is his, his dialogue. Yeah. And the way that he plays it off as both stylized. And so, you know, he he's
0: so like he's great in this and yeah. his face is the best i know <laughs> he has the best face it's so <laughs> craggy and especially in a movie like this yeah. like that world weariness that i was talking about is illustrated on his face is a map of all of like the heartache of the world <laughs> this year
1: this year also um he starred in in the valley of elah did you ever see that uh,
0: i don't think so but i saw that he was nominated yeah. for that he he's he's the quite two westerns and yeah
1: He's quite good in that in the Valley of Elah is a reference to uh, um, that's where David slew Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Mm, okay. And it doesn't reference it all, you know, besides that. But um, it's, it's uh, written, I think, well, Paul Haggis either directed or wrote it or both. I forget. But um, it's interesting that it he might have in, been why I skipped it. I know. Oof. That's why I was tempted to skip it. But I wanted to see all the best picture, all, yeah, all yeah, the actor yeah. nominees. And so I was, you glad. do your homework. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. Admirable. And um, all that dark and all that cold of <laughs> two thousand seven There's a reason despite
1: despite reading and seeing all the incredibly heinous, horrible crimes and the the, the psychopaths that exist yep. in the world, the human spirit wants to find hope somewhere. And does it find it? The, it, it I'm sorry, but the Coen Brothers have have cut to black before you know mm-hmm. if there's really any validity to this dream. Yeah, yeah, but um, but the fact that people still want it, I yeah. think it shows that there's some kind of spark. There's a little flame of of uh, divinity and hope in, in 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 humanity. Yes, and so am I. Am I searching for that because I don't want to just love a psychopath movie? Who knows? But that is partly what I see in it.
0: Yes, because with there will be blood, you call that more of a mean spirited movie. Yeah, and is it just because we our main character is completely unabashed about the fact that he is mean spirited? <laughs> he says in the movie that he hates people. You know that he doesn't find yeah. anything to like about people, there's, and yet we follow him for two and a half hours. There's no
1: Sheriff Bell in There Will Be Blood, no. to provide a some kind of hopeful, good person worldview in there. There, there isn't any, except for maybe his, you know, Daniel Day Lewis's son. Um, who does kind of in the end like say, I'm not like you, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand up to you. And, you know, he gets married. And so maybe there's some hope for him to have a good life despite his father's. Yeah. His it, father's basically a psychopath.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. And in, in that movie, it's more unspoken where it's kind of like his yeah. comeuppance is just being miserable his entire life and never finding any sense of peace or happiness, no matter how big of a house he has or whatever. And then dying alone, even though he dies a murderer but <laughs> and in this movie it's just you have tommy lee jones you know kind of saying it in dialogue you know our sort of internal yearnings but in there will be blood you don't have those words but you yeah. do you do sort of see it underneath in just the fact that the bad guy wins but what does he win
1: uh daniel day lewis does you know adopt or foster at least you know, pretend like it's his own child, the child whose father died in his own mind and raises him, I think in a lot of ways wants what's best for him. Um, So there's a little bit of redemption for him that way. Then he rejects his son later. So it sees him as a competitor. (laughs) Um, But yet I'm I'm smiling as I'm talking about this because watching Daniel Day-Lewis act in that role is like, I would I would sit down and watch that movie again right now, despite oh, yeah. how bad it, how horrible like so many things about it about about the, the the wrenching you know nature of of what what Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to do to us as we're mm-hmm. watching it. Um, I don't know that I f- I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to disturb us more than the Coen Brothers are.
0: Yeah, I think there are horror elements in there will will be blood. I in think both. It's, yeah. I think it's fair, especially in the score. I mean, I yeah. think about that that one scene where he's at the beach and it's after he kind of realizes My that his brother is stu- not his brother yeah. and he's in the water sort of floating we just see his head yep. and i just the music it's it's sunny i mean it's a bright sunny day at the beach and just the look on his face combined with that music it is just so ominous and you know violence is going to follow and so that that sense of dread there i mean that's a that's a horror trope and there will
1: be blood they they skip all the music
0: is, no Country, you mean?
1: No, I'm sorry, yeah. In mm-hmm. No Country, they skip all the music as though you might not be able to predict that there's going to be another killing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Javier Bardem on the set. Um, I have this here. and uh, Apparently, Javier Bardem, because of this body count, he apparently showed up to the... Uh, um, on the set and was telling the Cohen brothers, okay, who am I going to kill today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he does do a lot of he killing. Does. There are a lot of gunshots Big in this movie. Count. And maybe that's why I kind of remembered it the way that I did, because there are so many blasts.
1: That's why you got to watch it on clear play, Mike, because then you're, you're not <laughs> quite that, as bothered all that by that all dripped the, out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm not bothered at all by that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not one little
1: bit. Um, okay. So let me ask a question here. Um, well, I was going to ask you, what's the funniest part of the movie? Just to kind of, just to kind of scrooge you with your uh, emotions, <laughs> with your tweet. Um, okay. So according to a theory, I, I was confused by this every time I've watched it. And I, I, a little bit of reading kind of showed like, apparently some people have a different theory. So at the end, Sheriff Bell, if you haven't watched the movie, you know, pause it, go watch it and come back. It's a little bit of a Probably spoiler, a little late. Probably a little that. spoiler. Um, Sheriff Bell goes to the motel where Llewellyn Moss has been killed. Um, and you see this shot of Shiger hiding in the shadows with a little bit of light on his face. And then Tom Bell walks in, or Ed Bell. Yeah, I should probably find that out. Sheriff Bell walks in and sits down on the motel bed. And you're like, okay, he's going to be the next victim. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens. Yeah, why is that? How does that work out? According to some people, what could make sense is that it was there were two rooms rented, just mm-hmm. like in the previous motel, and Shiger is waiting in the other room. Yeah, and he's waiting in one, so it's another fifty-fifty coin toss. Like which one does Bell walk into—the one with Shiger waiting, or the empty one—and he walks into the one that's empty, and so his life is saved. So he doesn't he doesn't get shot. But I, I think I don't that know if your reading makes sense. I don't know if there's any clues that that's actually true. But I I mean that that's the only that that does make sense to me. I guess. But I, I, I was think it makes sense. It. But
0: it was one of those moments moments that I felt like didn't totally yeah. track. It didn't totally work. I agree.
1: It's like Paul and Eli being the same guy. Come on, <laughs> or being twins. Come on, they're
0: there's the a, same. There's guy. A, when you talk about a, a movie for a straight hour, I mean there are <laughs> going to find be things something. that are going to kind of Annoy you a little bit
1: that's that's one of the talents you know that that we bring to the table of film criticism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of, Just listing our annoyances, yeah, finding <laughs> the one percent flaw
0: so randomness um and money, you know Brolin finds the money, yep. that's ultimately the thing that kills him. There are a bunch of other you know we can pick out any number of instances in the movie where money is tied to death um but randomness, this car crash mm-hmm. at the end, it's like all of our main characters are dealt with and the bad guy is getting away getting away and winning. And then out of nowhere, gets T-boned by a random car. I've seen this five or
1: six times. And every time I jolt when that car crash happens, because mm. it's like can't quite i still can't quite predict when it's going
0: to happen <laughs> because there's no music there's no cues yeah. <laughs> um but maybe that's supposed to make us think in that moment oh look this is justice this is what's gonna you know he's getting it after all but he doesn't get it he's, yeah, he's fine he still walks away uh, so well job, his, his bone is sticking out of his arm who cares he's got a broken bone people break <laughs> their bones all the time i mean if that's the worst punishment that you're gonna get mm-hmm. and i'm not saying in, a, in any kind of movie especially one like this that there should yeah. be moral punishments um, I think that's, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. I thought you liked moral punishments in movies. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I don't. But I think that it almost reinforces, again, this idea that we want there to be justice. We want to see the bad guy get punished. But Because then, we're
1: just like Sheriff Bell. We do want some order in the world. But there isn't any. You know, like, isn't we, that what we keep coming back to? I think we have to wonder in the end. Mm. We don't always see it. <clears throat> you know, it's sort of like... Sometimes you read, you know, reading the Bible, reading the story of David and Goliath or something, there is sometimes in the Bible, this sort of voice, that's this narrational voice. That's kind of like, you know, God wanted that to happen. Sometimes there's not. And it's just like these things happen in the Bible without somebody saying, and that was a good thing that happened, or that was a bad thing that happened. And you're kind of like, why is that even in the Bible? This is like a weird story. Um, In this, it's searching, you know, you're wondering, is, is that moral justice? Was there some, is there some like force in the world that would, that would get Anton Chigurh in a car crash according to his own worldview, if there is one, no, that car had been traveling for 22 years just like the to coin, get to that point and at ended up at time. that point exact, exact mm-hmm. that exact time. Sometimes that brings people some comfort, that maybe, there was, maybe there's some divine destiny that sometimes things happen for a good reason. That's what Llewellyn Moss thought when he got the money. I just lucked out.
0: Well, people love to say that things happen for good reasons on purpose, but they don't want to say that (laughs) when when it flips, I'm
1: being punished. No, that's just bad luck. Bad things happen to good people. Um, But is is money the root of evil? No, but greed is, you know, if, if Llewellyn Moss would have, would have just left the money there, like, okay, this, this satchel of money was caused 10 people to be killed. So is it worth it for me to take this money or should I just kind of walk away and hope that, you know, it's all good? If he would have done that, maybe he would still be alive today in 2022. Uh, instead, and, he and died in 1980.
0: There's no doubt. I mean, there's, there's no doubt whatsoever. He wouldn't be hunted if he didn't take the money, um... And, you know, if it was just simply about greed, the, the kid wouldn't have given up his shirt because it's, it's my shirt. I'm not going to give you my shirt. It's, it's the currency, man. You can have my shirt. Yeah, I don't Here, need any
1: money, it, mister. Here's the other one that, that it, again, it just shows the masterful, intricate plotting. Every little detail in this movie is put together for a reason. So why does Llewellyn Moss get into trouble? Where does it start? Where did that coin get put into circulation? Was it when he shot the animal and followed the blood tracks, which by the way, the blood splatters that are followed in multiple different times, also great little connections, (laughs) you know, who's the hunted, who's hunting. It's, it's so perfect in that way. But was it when he fired the shot? Was it when he decided to follow the blood? Was it when he got the money or was it in the middle of the night when he had, he couldn't sleep? He's like, all right, I'm going to go help the guy in mm-hmm. the truck. He filled up the water. Mm-hmm. He knew it was probably a bad decision because he's going back into the lion's den, yep. so to speak. But he was trying to be a good person Yeah. by bringing a parched mouth Mexican drug dealer who's dying in a truck, a gallon of water. Mm-hmm. That was a good thing. Yeah. And I- yet... Is that what eventually got him essentially punished and killed?
0: See, I thought the same thing, but I've thought about this because I think that that is almost the one, if you're looking for a lesson, which I never am again, <laughs> but if you're looking for sort of a lesson, I think that that moment is is what saves him initially because he's out of the house and chased by those you know people in the trucks. So now he knows that he's hunted and he runs away. So that then that means that he's not in the trailer when Bardem comes and drinks his mm. milk. The only reason he's not there is because he knows at that point that people are following him. Could be, yeah. So it's like he does decide to do a good thing and he's kind of rewarded for it in that moment. But it's almost the only moment of redemption that I can see in 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 this movie. And I, I just think it's interesting because we kind of go back and forth with, I think, our philosophical differences in just how we see the world because there's another movie i can't remember which one it is where somebody kills somebody else and gets away with it and you thought well he's going to be haunted by this guilt for the rest of his in the, life in the bedroom in the bedroom in yeah. the bedroom yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm like no he, he got away with it you know he's got free so this so is kind of a recurring you thing have, with us
1: you feel no remorse And I do, you know, or you feel, you feel no guilt for things. And I do, I feel guilt for things I didn't do. (laughs) Um, But another thing is, um, why does he want the money? Is it because he's like,
0: because he lives in a trailer and he's broke and and
1: he told his wife, she works at Walmart, you are retired. Mm hmm. He wants his wife to have a good life. Oh,
0: no. that's He like, loves his wife. This is like the Breaking Bad excuse. Everything I do, I do for my family. You do it because you want the money and it makes you feel powerful. And, and the family is a nice excuse. You it makes you feel selfless. You I'm don't not stealing see... this money or killing these people for my own gain. I'm doing it for my family. But you don't
1: see the look on his face like you think he loves his wife? I think he yeah, does. Yeah, he
0: can love his wife and also be selfish and take the money at the same time because of selfish reasons
1: it's all everything is both in this movie i I think that's why it could be debated and discussed endlessly and i think that it works in that in that way sometimes though i don't know if you feel like because it doesn't seem to well i mean do you think that's a flaw that it continues it's easy to go back and forth on it
0: on on one in particular this 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 morality that we're talking about um no, because you I like I, I see area, the I right? see the Coens as pretty definitively saying that there is no meaning uh, in all of this. I, I, <laughs> I think that the randomness is kind of the, their their philosophy here. I mean but, but Bardem is. is an agent of chaos yeah. and gets no punishment for it. He's the only one out of the group who survives in the end, even including the wife who did absolutely nothing yeah. wrong and is the most logical of the whole group and tells him straight up that your whole philosophy makes no sense. And then I guess we don't know for sure that she is murdered, which is kind of a great touch. I think we do
1: because he's looking at his boots.
0: Yeah. I think that we are supposed to assume, but they never show us. (laughs) That's another one.
1: This sort of light touch in the most horrible moment Mm -hmm. where she just got killed for no reason, most likely. Yeah. And then he walks out from, it's a long shot. You know, there's no Mm close-ups. Long shot across the street. He walks out of this very nice looking, you know, uh, little neighborhood, quiet street. And he stops and like slowly just looks at one boot. Then he picks up and looks at the other boot to see if he got any blood on him is the implication. Yeah. Um that's a that's also another like light touch. Weren't you laughing at that moment? I was busting up. <laughs> light touch. Oh the blood, the blood on the boots. <laughs> Hilarious. That's great. <laughs> um so here's another question for you. Okay. The death of Llewellyn Moss.
0: Mm-hmm satisfying to you a problem haunting i kind of love how they no sell (laughs) it how it's just like we follow this guy and i think that it contributes to the randomness thing even more yeah that we follow this guy all movie long and we we're supposed to be emotionally invested in his journey we're even supposed to be pulling for him and yet the movie doesn't even kind of give us that moment to know how he died, when he died, to see any of it. It's just kind of like Tommy Lee Jones walks into a building and just sees his body on the ground. And watching this time, because I hadn't seen this you in a really long time, him. I wondered if it was like a ploy. Like, yeah. did he tell him to fake his death so that Bardem would stop searching for him? And then you realize that, no, that's, that's not what's going on here. That storyline is just over yeah. unceremoniously. Yeah. It's
1: kind of great. David Denby of The New Yorker criticized the way the Coen's disposed of Llewellyn Moss. Here's what he said. The Coen's, however faithful to the book, cannot be forgiven for disposing of Llewellyn so casually. I think that's really interesting to, I think that shows that David Denby is so invested in this character that he's like upset. And this
0: is a man searching for meaning in the the world and in this movie. And yeah. the fact that the movie is basically telling him, uh, <laughs> "We're not no going to give it to you," because sometimes yeah. that doesn't happen in real life. He's just gone now.
1: After watching he, David Denby goes on, after watching this foolhardy but physically gifted and decent guy, is he decent? Probably <laughs> physically
0: gifted. I don't know about. Th- I don't know why he said that. He's a That's veteran, funny. I guess. He you knows so how to handle a gun.
1: Maybe es- <clears throat> he escaped so many traps. We have a great deal invested in him, in him emotionally, and yet he's eliminated off camera by some unknown Mexicans. He doesn't get the dignity. Known
0: Mexicans.
1: He well, they're not characters, you know. They just <laughs> the only thing you see in them is that they have zoop, zipped out of the parking lot, you know, barely hanging on to the side of it. He doesn't get the dignity of a death scene. That's what D- Denby is criticizing. The compressed their natural jauntiness. They have become orderly disciplined masters of chaos, but one still has the feeling that out there on the road from nowhere to nowhere, they are rooting for it rather than against it, unquote. So he's saying that the Coen brothers are saying, isn't this chaos so fun? Like, we're just going to rub it into the nose of everybody that there's no, there's no morality in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he he seems to agree with you and then says the Coen brothers are bad for doing that. You're saying they're great for doing that. I'm saying they don't even realize the order that they're allowing to remain in the story. And is it even them? This is Cormac McCarthy's no, it's, philosophy it's, who's it's doing them. this. I mean, this is they their movie. Have,
0: they could have done this a million have. different ways, and they chose to do it on off-screen, unceremoniously. That they, is a
1: choice. It is. They stayed true to Cormac McCarthy, too, which, you know, he's he's, he's, a, he's a great master as well. And
0: I know that the Coens are—they're kind of criti- criticized sometimes for being cynical and, and arguably sort of yeah. hating some of their characters. and Nihil- not really nihilistic? respecting them. Nihilistic, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's interesting as a critic to get so worked up for not getting something that you expect from a movie and not be crediting the movie for knowing what you expect and then withholding it in order to manipulate you. That's all that's what this is all about is Tot- manipulation. I
1: totally agree with you. I sympathize with what David Denby's saying because that's you know, but I guess I, I, I guess I separate it. And I, I like to think that most of us are kind of like Sheriff Bell. We are shocked horrified by the lack of remorse and and empathy that you see in some of these criminals like Anton Chigurh, you can't make sense of him, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's really sad and horrifying. Um, that there's some morality in that, you know, that, that means that we understand as human beings, that there is such a thing as right and wrong, that it's not good to go out and just randomly kill people just for the sake of getting money um he he is a moral voice in the in the story and he's being discouraged and disheartened but i think that we can see that I, I we sympathize with him you know whether we also just say yeah that's exactly how it is or whether we think i wish that he could see a little more of the good that maybe i can see because i don't live in a world like this movie i'm not surround i don't i've never been chased by a psychopath and no? i've never <laughs> no i never have
0: uh, i want to talk about the title very very briefly oh, before we wrap up the title so for old men so this movie obviously is kind of having a conversation with the past mm-hmm. so are we sort of to believe that it's saying nowadays modern times things are getting worse have people really gotten worse than they were before have has the technologies just enabled us to see it more blatantly because they're using <laughs> machine guns instead of um pistols and i think the fact that we're in the old west or in the west is important too because then it makes you think about western tradition yeah. and if you wanted to kill somebody back then you had to do it one-on-one
1: the good and evil you know tropes of of old westerns you mm-hmm. know? well the the title is um it's based on a william butler Yeats poem sailing to Byzantium," which is essentially about you know old age and dealing with death and immortality it's a very dense incredibly um a uh, uh, fruitful poem to study, I would say. I have not studied it enough to be able to tell you everything about the poem, but um, that's the beginning of that poem. Now, there's there's no country for old men, um, and it's kind of yeah, be, bemoaning the the difficulty of getting old and dying, and that's what Sheriff Bell is is uh, grappling with. Um, it's been used in other other places too. That title.
0: So you think it has more to do with age than with. Um... Modernity.
1: And mortality and immortality. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I would say so, but I could be wrong. But we could have, we should do a next episode on that poem. Just dissect the poem. Yeah, <laughs> people would love that. Um, a <laughs> um, few points of trivia. Sure. Um, according to an article in Business Insider, a group of psychiatrists studied 400 movies and identified 126 Psychopathic characters. Okay, and they said that this Anton Chigurh, by Javier Bardem, is the most clinically accurate portrayal of a psychopath. Hmm. So it's also realistic movie. Um, <clears throat> okay, this is a this is a crazy one. I criticized IMDb in my last <laughs> in the last episode, but this is Rightly, this is a, some, some this say. is a great one. Okay, so in the movie Sheriff Bell says that there's these dope dealers who said, he says here a while back in San Antonio, they shot and killed a federal judge. So the movie is set in 1980. The previous year in Texas in San Antonio. So same city, there actually was a federal judge shot and killed in San Antonio. And guess who the killer was? Charles Harrelson. The father of Woody Harrelson. What? Woody Harrelson died in prison. Woody Harrelson's father died in prison. Wow. For shooting this judge.
0: Huh. And then Woody Harrelson plays like a hitman <laughs> in this. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Josh Brolin broke his shoulder in a motorcycle accident. Two days after getting the part in this movie. Mm. And he said that in an interview, he said that as he was like flying over the car in midair with this accident, his thought was, I really wish I really wanted to work for the Coens in that movie. And now I'm not going to be able to. Um, but fortunately in the movie, his shoulder is injured early on. So afterward he can just go ahead and allow his shoulder to look injured because it actually was. Because mm. Matt, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see Garrett Dillahunt who plays Wendell the, uh, the goofy oh sheriff <laughs> um, he actually auditioned five times for the role of Llewellyn Moss and just kept getting turned down so he went into that role um, Heath, Heath Ledger was going to play Llewellyn Moss also but he wanted some time away um, so uh, and again that Roderick James pseudonym that I mentioned earlier who uh, co-edited and uh, or who, who supposedly is the editor of these movies, um, uh, the New York Magazine reported that they they came up with this pseudonym um, because there are these guild membership rules that say you can't have two co credited editors on the same film; it has to be one editor. Um, so, Roderick James was actually nominated for an Oscar for editing Fargo, but. <laughs> Poor, poor Roderick has never won
0: for editing. I think we heard a similar, <laughs> um, similar factoid about Sin City, right? With Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller, yeah. it wouldn't let 2 yeah. direct—I don't know—two yeah, directors yeah. submit for something.
1: Um, okay, here's my last one. <clears throat> this is a uh, this is a uh, uh, um, Frodo and Samwise sort of moment. Okay, when when Llewellyn Moss, Josh Brolin, crosses the border into Mexico. He was the first character in a Coen Brothers movie to set foot out of the United States. Wow! Wow! Huge. That's a that's a big moment, (laughs) I guess. Um, So keep it or kick it, Mike.
0: That's a keep. Yeah, I'll keep it simple. It's a keep. (laughs) Um,
1: Is it a candidate for number one to you? It is. Yeah. Uh, Um, Did I convince you?
0: I mean, it didn't hurt. (laughs) <laughs> definitely whenever I really like a movie, but I struggle with it. Yeah. If you really like it and then we're kind of like bouncing off, uh, enthusiasm, I find that that definitely does bolster and, my, um, and
1: vice versa. I mean, talking yeah. about the movie, but how is that? How often is that in, in the past? Like, you know, your friends, you're always quoting a certain movie. It kind of rises in its yeah. prominence for you. It does yeah, for me. Yeah. It's kind of impossible not to, but talking through it here. And I, I was actually, I watched this with my uh, two teenage sons, um, and they were I was just like I was so excited to watch it again, is 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 funny. They were kind of making fun of me. <laughs> um so yeah, next episode, the finale, two thousand seven, we'll 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 get the final word on what really is the best movie of 07 and the, you know, in order from there. So
0: I'm dreading be exciting. It. I'm dreading it <laughs> until then. Find us at uh best Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you listen. We're also on social media. And for 16 years of golden takes head over to letterboxd slash Mike Cavalieri
1: to support the show, visit patreon.com slash best picture. This
0: thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. Also, please remember to rate review and subscribe. Thanks
1: for listening to best picture. This the Anton Shigur hairdo of film criticism. <laughs>